0: Before we begin, just to let you guys know: our logo artwork was designed by Nickel Anarchy, and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning: this podcast does contain spoilers for the Ryodan Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, our Ordinarse Read Along and Analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with the start of the Last Olympian. Chapter 1, I go cruising with explosives, and chapter 2, I meet some fishy relatives. Before we get in, just a reminder to folks I love the series, I have tattoos to do with this series, but just because I love the series doesn't mean I can't be critical. Just getting that out of the way before we go in, because as always, I have my main points to focus on. So today, we've got starts, characters, relationships, story, and generally what I thought of it. And yeah, we've got a lot to say. (laughs) But to begin, here's the synopsis. Our war begins with romantic drama, a dented roof, and plans to infiltrate an evil ship. Of course, this is Percy. Nothing goes right with Percy involved. With a little talk from Dad, it's time that Percy learns what he is meant to do. And that's kind of... it's not the best synopsis I couldn't really think of one for this for these two chapters but that's the best I've got so you're just going to have to deal with it because either way we're going to be doing overviews of the chapters, so you'll get a little bit more information all the same and with that in mind let us start with chapter one because that's where everything starts I go cruising with explosives and this is the overview for chapter one Percy heads down the love triangle route and I lose all respect With the war incoming, Rachel needs to talk to him, but not yet. When Charles arrives, the first act of war is to begin. The Princess Andromeda returns, and it isn't a happy reminder. Aboard the ship, they prepare the bombs, but things never go easy when Percy's involved. Needing a distraction, he becomes one and is caught. But then, so is Charles. As he and Beckendorf are held, about to die, Beckendorf makes the ultimate sacrifice. Percy sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Chapter one, and we're already hitting it with the big guns. Um, I'm going to say, this is, I do have some positives to go into, which I will go into, but I just want to bring up first, some of that was the first thing that I noticed, the first thing that I wrote down actually for this chapter, were the stereotypes that um, I've been noticing a lot, and I've actually seen a lot of discussion of on on Instagram and Twitter and such. Um, and it pops up a bit with uh, Rachel in this situation, a little bit. Well, and Annabeth also, but that's been there from the start. I just didn't picking up on it until we've gotten more female characters, because she was the only main female character we've ever had. But anyway, none of the good female characters or main female characters in this series. actually like girly girls or just you know normal girls most of them fall into the not other girls stereotype like they wear only jeans they are never in dresses they do quote-unquote boyish things it's just a really irritating stereotype and trip and it doesn't change anywhere like every single main female character we get falls into this they're all the not other girls stereotype none of them enjoy wearing dresses none of them wear makeup they all look down on the aphrodite girls for example they all think of them as vapid um even you know one who is an aphrodite girl themselves but we'll get to that when we get to that oh my god but it's just something i noticed in this because percy literally says it himself he like, oh, we can't picture Rachel in a dress. She's she's a jeans in, with paint spattered. I'm like, oh, the moment it said that, I was like, oh, my God, she's a not like other girls trope. And then I was like, oh, but Annabeth is basically a not like other girls. Like, have we ever seen her in makeup or a dress or anything like that? No. The only ones that we've seen in dresses are the Aphrodite girls or <laughs> villainous girls. And, you know, neither of them are particularly seen in a good light. So it's just something that I just had to bring up because it's something that I noticed and it's something that I am not a fan of. But we'll move into something slightly a bit more <laughs> positive now and talk over the story in this chapter. I want to say, we finally left this, the formula of this series. There are no more schools blowing up, no more drama happening at schools in the first chapter. We're now diving right into the main narrative with the lead up to Cronus' plans and everything that's happening and the war and all that sort of stuff. Which is just I'm so pleased. But it took five books <laughs> for us to actually leave that formula of always starting at a school and a problem happening at a school. And I just, uh... Anyway. Um story based, the whole Beckendorf and Percy working together to delay the invasion. This is where the negative come in comes in. This is why I'm annoyed that, and probably remember the short story, The Perseduction and the Bronze Dragon um, story. This is why I'm annoyed that the short story was the only time that we actually see them, you know, spending time together, working together, all these sort of things. Because there's no development for this relationship. We're, like, told. There's, like, a something there. Like, they're making jokes with each other. There's, like, a bond there we're being told that we're not actually shown that in the main story so it feels a little bit disingenuous um and and just to speak about the whole beckendorf thing his sacrifice is the most heroic thing i've seen but it feels really unearned and there's no disrespect to beckendorf beckendorf would have been such a really interesting character and we learn more about him in the short story not that much because he's not really in it that much but like it feels unearned because we barely know this guy. So it feels less meaningful. We're meant to be feeling the impact of war and of this kid, this teenager dying. And yeah, he's a casualty of war, but he's one that we barely know as a reader. If you don't know something, and it's, it's a very real thing, if you don't know if there isn't an emotional connection there, we're not going to feel that oomph. And I'll get into that a little bit more because this conversation comes in um, in the next chapter a little bit. But that's just something that I noticed with the story, like his sacrifice. We get like the emotional thing, but the emotion is tied to Percy, not to what Beckendorf is doing. And again, yeah, I'll get more into that later. The other thing, so whilst they're on the boat, they learn that there is, a, that there is definitely still a spy at camp. Which is why their plan has not gone the way they want it to. It's it's a problem. Things aren't going right because there is a spy who's telling them what's what. The other thing that happens so Percy sees another demigod, like a 12 year old demigod on that ship who looks scared and he's ready to, seemingly ready to fight him, but he's scared. And Percy's like, oh, you've got like 10 minutes to get off this ship, If blah, blah. blah. But he he then talks about, and he mentions it in the second chapter as well, just about these kids being brainwashed. And I don't get that. I don't get what, well, I do get it because he's an idiot. But he has literally witnessed firsthand the lack of care that gods give to their kids. So they can't be brainwashed into hating the gods if they've got... They are the literal proof that the gods don't care about them because they were abandoned. They haven't been claimed, they have been abandoned, That they're, they're, they're not cared about. It's not brainwashing if it's based in reality. The gods don't care because there's no evidence of them caring except for when they need something from their kids. Like the only reason Percy is involved in finding out and, like a known demigod is because his dad needed him to solve a problem for him like that's the only reason <laughs> that he exists Well that's the only reason why he knows this world exists is because his dad needed something from him like that's it so percy has witnessed firsthand and yet he still thinks that they're brainwashed. yeah they are in some form i will give that but it can't be a full brainwash if it is something that is actually true The gods don't care about them, so why would the kids care about the gods? I get straight facts. (laughs) But this is the whole thing, and I mention this a lot. Percy is just an idiot. Like He's seen everything that's happened. How the gods don't care, how the gods disrespect their kids, how the gods have made everything worse, and yet he continues to defend them and not understand why people turn against them which is why everything about the series just feels a little bit hollow in some places because we as an audience don't understand it either when we really should we should be able to see both sides because it's so much more nuanced I'm going to get to why we should be seeing both sides near the end of this book but anyway let's move on from story into characters <laughs> to talk about Percy I've lost if you guys can't I like Percy as a character, but as I have read the series more and I've dived into it a little bit more, in this one, especially in this chapter, especially, I have lost respect for Percy. I completely get needing a normal life amid a growing war and like being able to keep things separate and feel normal, but to clearly refer to Annabeth as a difficult girl in his life and say that it's easier being with Rachel. Is just disrespectful. He doesn't say Annabeth's name, but literally, hold on. Let me read the quote because it's very clear that he is referring to Annabeth. Hold on. I can't pretend um, something about. So they were talking about kissing. Um, I can't pretend I hadn't thought about Rachel. She was so much easier to be around than well than some other girls I knew. He only knows Annabeth. He only knows Annabeth in this way. So it's only Annabeth he can be talking about and he's disrespecting her thinking about Rachel's Rachel say, basically saying that Annabeth is difficult and Rachel is easier to be around. Even if he doesn't want romantic interest in Annabeth if he doesn't want to be involved with her romantically she's meant to be your bloody friend mate. Don't disrespect a friend just because you're thinking about a different girl. That's You aren't friends. I think this is the thing here. Percy and Annabeth are meant to be friends. He does not treat or respect her enough to actually, for me to even think they're friends for how little he does respect her and her feelings. We don't know what's going on in Annabeth's mind, admittedly, so I don't know too much about it. But everything that I've seen from Percy in his thoughts towards Annabeth, in his actions towards Annabeth, I don't think he's a good friend. Even his actions towards Grover, I don't. Th- I just don't think he's a good friend, which is ironic considering his fatal flaw is loyalty to you know to the people around him. But he's not particularly. He's literally not being loyal right now, which is ironic. Like, <laughs> not in the romantic sense, but just like he's clearly thinking about Annabeth, calling her difficult. Just like oh, I don't know. Oh, and then there's also the fact that when. Um, Rachel does kiss him, and Charles sees. He then says, "Oh, I won't tell Annabeth," and he's like, "Oh no, she can't know about this." I'm like, lying to someone who's meant to be a friend. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me think you guys are even less of friends than than before. If you're happy to lie to her, and it's not because he's going to be worried about hurting her feelings. It's just because he doesn't want her to know. It's got nothing to do with her feelings. I don't think he cares about her feelings because he he doesn't. He hasn't. I haven't had any shred of evidence about him caring about her feelings except for when it's convenient to the plot, which is a, just another thing, thing in general. But it's things like that. It just makes me lose a bit of respect for him. Um, also, it just it just kind of makes me sad. Like the Bronze Dragon um, chapter, well, story as well. We see actual development between them like in a romantic sense they go on a date well she co- seemingly they technically I guess don't use the word but then he also kind of uses the word but it's undone in the first chapter of this book that possible development which again was in a side story not the actual main plot so most people don't even know about it it's just uh, just kind of move on to that, into relationships as well, ironically. Uh, well, not ironically, I specifically put it in that place so I could carry on. <laughs> the Labyrinth book, and now the start of this book, undermined so much of Percy and Annabeth's relationship that it's just frustrating and pointless. We've lost any momentum of build-up towards Percy Beth as a romantic relationship, because it's just undermining everything about a poss- about something with them by including another love interest. One that he seems to like more because he spent an entire summer with her. And also, of course, called Annabeth difficult. Like, this is the only thing, and this may be controversial. Honestly, it... <laughs> In this case, I would have rather he'd gone with Rachel as being his actual real love interest because if she isn't, Her inclusion as a possible love interest is just a pointless joke. She's just there to cause drama. That's the only reason she's there as a character. She has some things that pop up later, but this interaction with Percy is only there to cause drama. If they're not meant to be endgame because you're just undermining the main relationship. A main relationship that you haven't actually developed in the main series. You build up your main love interest, that is supposed, well, not supposedly, because they do end up being endgame, which is why this is more irritating, because the last book and the start of this one just undermines it, because it shows Annabeth in a different, poor light, without ever actually showing her in a romantic love interest light to Percy. So really, you should have been building up the main love interest between Percy and Annabeth in the last book, and maybe include conflict with this possibility of another love interest. But it wouldn't have undermined Percy and Annabeth if there'd actually been romantic love interest build, but building in the previous book, but there wasn't. There was no building other than the kiss. Which is really out of the blue. Other than that. There is no other build up for their romantic. Love interest building. I'm say- I'm not saying this in the best way. Basically. Actually have. Annabeth and Percy have romantic moments. That are actually feeding into the plot. Before randomly introducing. Not one. But two love interests in the previous book. And now continuing with one of those. Love, in- love interests in this book. Because. At this point, I haven't seen if if no one's read the the short story. At this point, we haven't seen a single romantic element between Percy and Annabeth, other than the kiss and the fact that Sally said they were going on a date as the start of Battle of the Labyrinth. That is the only romantic element we've had. And now Rachel has actually had more love interest moments with Percy than Percy's main love interest and that in itself is a joke and I will move on now because I went a bit too hard on that (laughs) Uh, so moving on from chapter one to chapter two I meet some fishy relatives and this is the overview for chapter two one chapter in and we get bloody plot-giving dreams again. And I'm so fed up with them. (sighs) Percy finally arrives at his father's palace and Tyson returns. Thank God. An awkward family meeting with his dad's marital family. Out of the way, the battle in the oceans rage on. Poseidon fights the ocean titan Oceanus and it isn't going well. Tyson wants to help, so does Percy, but now isn't the time. The prophecy must be heard, so Percy is sent away, leaving a battle behind. (sighs) So I haven't actually written anything, well I've written other stuff, but I haven't written for what I'm going to talk about now. You guys know how I feel about the plot giving dreams. These ones are so dumb there is no reason for these dreams to exist all it does is show two other random titans that we haven't met being like oh yeah the explosion now oh, yeah it's a bit kind of sucks but it's not really a problem and that's it <laughs> that's all we get from it the only other thing is nico saying to percy in the dream this is why we need to do our plan that doesn't need to be there at all there is no reason for that to happen. When that conversation comes up later, when we see... Bring in Nico himself instead. Not at this point, because there's no reason for it to be here at all. This just It's just... Oh, there's just no reason for it. All it is, is giving plot, feeding in plot, and that's it. You don't give plot, you just... Like... <laughs> These dreams, I'm sorry, but the, these dream elements are the dumbest thing in this because they're the only reason they exist is to give us information. There's no learning information, it's just giving us the information and that's it's just happening here again. But in this case, we're not given any information other than, oh, well, the ship exploding. Yeah. Oh, well, that's it. Oh, and then the reminder of Nico's... Uh, Idea, but that comes in again later anyway. So, like, just have it happen when it happens. Don't randomly bring it up now, there's no point. Ugh. Considering that we've literally just had Beckendorf die, this is dumb. It undermines that emotional tension and build up of Beckendorf dying. There's just no reason for it. It's just... Oh, make it... I don't know. I'm just... Yeah, I'm just going to move on from there. next thing I want to go into is slightly slightly about characters, particularly about Poseidon. I, I hate Poseidon. And I really hate that he's shown slightly in a good light in this because he's not a nice person. He's not a nice god. Well, it, he was one of the worst, actually, of the Greek gods. He did so much worse stuff than Zeus. But, you know, there's... a different conversation the thing is he talks so candidly about other demigods the ones that he sees is not on their side because he joined the, the titans it was like the fact that they're dying and probably are dead even though they are children it was like hey they made that choice you know that was their decision and the fact that Percy actually gets really offended by this like hey no they've been brainwashed obviously they haven't been brainwashed but yeah, mentioned that earlier but him saying that should show Percy how little the gods care. But the fact is he doesn't actually seem to have much of a problem with his dad being like, yeah, they die, they die. It's their choice. He doesn't seem to have an issue. Like like he says, well, no, they were brainwashed. That's not fair. And then his dad moves the conversation on. Like, no, Percy, have more of a reaction, even if it's in your head. Don't be happy and don't let your dad get away with talking candidly and, you know, without care about children dying. I don't get how he doesn't see an issue with this. Because that's not a cool thing to say. He's... Oh. I don't know why, I don't know why it irritates me so much that he's not shown enough in a bad light, considering we've seen that he has favouritism. We know that Tyson probably heard him say to Percy that Percy is his favourite child... Which then becomes even worse when we see his other son born from his actual wife and that he doesn't seem to care much about him to the point that this son is overtly jealous and very, you know, a little bit patronising to Percy and understandably because his father favours him. (laughs) That's not going to be a well-kept secret. Favouritism is very clear to tell and just in the end of that I don't know why it irritates me in this regard that he cares so little for his other kids in comparison to Percy like I'm sorry Just this is also just a question because I don't actually think we've ever heard him call Tyson son at least as far as I'm aware I don't think we've ever seen other than obviously the Poseidon um, thing that we see pop up and Sea of Monsters and he claims him I don't think there's ever been any other case. Like <laughs> mean, Percy is the only one he seems to respect as his son. And this other, did he say Triton? I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, the, the the mermaid guy. It just, it just really irritates me. That it just, that just Poseidon seems to be able to get away with so much just because Percy is biased. But then this bias is never brought into question, so we as an audience don't see an issue with Poseidon, even though Poseidon is an ass. <laughs> the only thing is, just like him getting angry when Percy talks back is just another sign to me. That should have been a sign to Percy. That he is an ass. Like Percy is speaking facts. Tyson does want to help. Tyson feels Probably abandoned in the sense that his father doesn't trust him, and Percy gets angry about that. Like, he's had many moments, and there will be a few more later down the line as well, where he gets angry at Percy. And I'm just like, Percy, why don't you see that this is not, you know, healthy parental behaviour? But he just kind of lets it pass, and that's just irritating. Anyway, let's go into story this time. <laughs> 'Cause this is the thing I was mentioning earlier to do with um Charles and why his death I feel wasn't given the importance it should have been because we don't know much about him. Percy is just telling us all of Charles's feats and what he had going for him, like the fact that he was going to college soon, he had a girlfriend and all these sort of things. Like we should have learnt more about him prior to this. So we didn't have to be told, oh, these are all the things, this is why we should be sad because his future is gone. Yeah, we're going to be sad in general, but the fact that you're having to tell us all these different things shows that we clearly haven't learned enough about this character to actually have cared in the first place without having this information given to us in a single moment. Like, if you have to tell us what he's lost, then we don't know anything about him to actually feel sad that these are things that he's lost. The sadness that we are feeling for him is because of Percy. The story itself doesn't really evoke emotion for Beckendorf himself. We only feel something because Percy is feeling something. If we'd gotten more time with Beckendorf, learnt more about what he was giving up, like if he'd been more involved in the previous book, that would be all right, but we—I don't even think he. I think he gets like a single line mentioned, like with the fact that he has to look after Mrs. O'Leary. That's it, as far as I'm aware. Maybe like some references to him ha- ha- helping in the battle. like a glitch moment there, but other than that, there's really nothing else. Like if, other than this single moment of him looking at Selina's photo, which honestly was i feel like rick's way of trying to be like ah you know we've got to feed something in first because to, to, he's gonna die we've got to kind of show something to make us feel sad over but if you're doing it in a single chapter of we're learning these things about him then he's dead and then we're learning more about what was going on for him in the following chapter after he's already dead We haven't learned enough about this character to actually care that they're dead without our main character feeling sad that they're dead. We haven't had that emotional connection and build-up to his death for us to actually feel it. It's like what I was talking about with Bianca. Like, Bianca, we don't get enough build-up of her character to really feel her death. Whereas with Zoe, we get a little bit more of that. If Zoe is able to get that length and importance for her death, Charles should have as well, because his is the first death leading up to the casualties that are likely to follow with this war. But it just doesn't have that impact for me. <sighs> and yeah, that's just kind of what I wanted to, to say on that. Look, I will say, okay, this book is my favourite of the series. The Last Olympian is the best of the five books. And it does it does really well there are consequences there are things that are really impactful in this book but there are issues which I have picked up on and I will keep picking up on because there are a lot there are a lot more problems than I kind of realized you know when you're doing just like your quick read because you've read the series often that when you finally slow it down you start to notice things more that's what I'm having at the moment so I'm gonna pick things up but this is still I think it is still going to be because it has improved so much. Love triangle, rubbish aside. This one is still the best of the five. Like, you can see Rick's progression. Battle of the Labyrinth aside, you can see Rick's progression with his writing. But all the same in terms of, you know, the problems. This week's question of the episode is, how did Charles's death make you feel? And were your feelings based on Percy's grief of his loss or chances actual loss? And obviously, that question will go up on our social media on, well, the day after this episode comes out. So uh, yeah, go check it out, drop your answer there, or email me as well. But yeah, thank you all for joining me today for the start of The Last Olympian. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our verse journey. Now to plug where you can find our podcast. We are available on Spotify where you should drop a follow so we can be found more on searches. Uh, Available on Apple Podcasts. We should leave a rating, review and subscribe so we can also be found. Uh, We are also on Audio Boom, Stitcher, Deezer and pretty much all podcasting platforms. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media. Our Best Damn Camp pod where you can find some pretty cool memes that I've been coming up with. And... Wait, where... But I've forgotten what I've said now because I've ad I've libbed, I've gone off script. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we were, oh God, uh, Best Damn Camp pod on Instagram and Twitter. And yes, memes, random cheers um, that hopefully you guys enjoy. <laughs> uh, if you want to email me with your own thoughts about this, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran. And be sure to check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. Well, not anymore, but, you know, for past stuff, and if you like Avatar, you know, that's cool. And drop me a follow at A Dose of Fran on Instagram and Twitter, and also TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your own Hunter, and I'll see Shall last week to you guys next time. Bye.